During the past 18 years, Facebook grew immensely to become the world's most dominant social network, connecting individuals and communities across the globe. Today, almost 3 billion people use Facebook, many of them on a daily basis. Facebook is now a subsidiary of a parent company called Meta, and it isn't the only widely used website or software owned by this company. Meta has two other hugely popular applications. The first is WhatsApp, which is presumably used by more than 2 billion people around the world, and not only daily, but almost on an hourly basis. Many people's lives and livelihoods depend on it too closely. The other great asset is Instagram, which is very popular among teenagers and young people, and is an active breeding ground for visual influencers from every discipline. These three apps have ensured that Meta has all this too powerful position of eavesdropping on people's communications, knowing intently about their interactions, their thoughts and intentions, and even their most implicit desires. This has enabled the company via its enormous AI-directed advertising agency to aggressively, and in many cases effectively, target all users around the world with specifically tailored ads. Advertisers effectively connect with their potential customers, all the while filling Facebook's coffers with tremendous amounts of money, making it one of the most valuable companies ever. But in the past few years, especially after the uproar that followed Donald Trump's ascendancy to the presidency of the United States, attention was quickly drawn to the great influence of the ads-powered fake news campaign that were pervasive throughout Facebook in the period running up to the elections, and which is believed to have contributed greatly to Trump's victory in the 2016 election. Emotions went high after it was revealed that many of those campaigns were run by clients based in Russia, and probably related to Russian security apparatus. Then came the scandal of Cambridge Analytica in 2018, which revealed that Facebook provided freely the data of its users without their consent to groups who used it to influence and direct political advertisement in the UK and the United States. People started to rethink of Facebook and its subsidiaries as not only means of eavesdropping on their inner desires and preferences in a commercial sense, but also as a tool capable of manipulating them entrenching their wildest, more radical beliefs and far-fledged fantasies, and sometimes leading them toward certain narratives. And so, modern democratic societies across the world, particularly in the United States and Europe, have grown increasingly weary of Facebook. Users, however, didn't leave right away. But after a series of scandals over the past few years, their enthusiasm for the blue icon and its kins started to wane. Real exodus from Meta's platforms started to materialize after a poorly written update of the terms of services of WhatsApp, in addition to an outage of service in October 2021. All the while, moral failings were continuously being exposed, most significant of which were testimonies by a whistleblower who left Facebook to reveal the company's continued predatory practices despite internal research that proved that aggressive AI algorithms on Instagram were causing immense negative impact on teenagers. All that happened in conjunction with authorities 
around the world calling out Meta for its inadequate efforts to curb fake news, mostly COVID anti-vaxxers, and stop the steal information. Meta complied, closing groups and banning users. But the result was an additional wave of migration of those angry right-wing and populist users who felt betrayed by Facebook. All these users, the disenchanted and the angry, left to join other social media and messaging platforms. But out of the lot, Telegram was by far the biggest winner. Many people believe Telegram is just another messaging app, but actually it's much more than that. It's a kind of a combination and amalgamation of both worlds, of Facebook and WhatsApp. Simple and handy like WhatsApp, but versatile and feature-rich like Facebook. Privacy-oriented like Signal, and friendly and organized like Clubhouse. But many users of this ad-free, very lightly moderated app don't know much about its origin, the people behind it, and how it came into being. The founder of Telegram, its current CEO, and essentially its only owner, is Pavel Durov, a Russian entrepreneur and programmer born in 1984. This young, self-pronounced libertarian is a privacy and free speech evangelical who is mostly seen dressed in black like Neo in the Matrix. For his relatively young age, he has quite a rich background and an exciting history. His father, a philology professor, spent his active years teaching in Turin in Italy, where Pavel and his brother Nikolai spent their childhood. After the fall of the Soviet Union, the family repatriated to St. Petersburg, where both brothers enrolled in the city's main university and where they would eventually graduate. From early on, Nikolai, Pavel's elder brother, is held in higher esteem, not only within the nuclear family, but also within the extended circle of friends and acquaintances. Nikolai showed signs of singular intelligence from an early age and would prove to be a math prodigy, going on to earn multiple math Olympiad medals. Pavel, who essentially rose in the shadow of his brother, joined university to specialize in philology like his father. But with his growing proficiency in coding and growing signs of his innate entrepreneurship, Pavel would soon eclipse both his father and his genius brother. Rumors have it that he didn't even go to pick up his university diploma because before graduation, Pavel already knew and believed his future career lay in technology. With the help of his brother, who proved to be a great mathematician and a great programmer, entrepreneurial Pavel went on to carve the family's fortunes in the burgeoning technology services. Pavel followed closely the expansion of the social media landscape unfolding in the United States. The rapid popularity and success of Facebook immediately caught his attention. He quickly gathered a small team of talented programmers and embarked on making Russia's own Facebook, VKontakt, or VK for short, which means be in touch in Russian. VK quickly gained popularity in Russia and in the post-Soviet republics, reaching at its peak around 600 million users. The popularity and success of this social media platform was so noticeable that none other than Mark Zuckerberg himself in 2009 wanted to meet Pavel 
asking him how he managed to accomplish the feat of building such a huge platform with a small team of just 30 people. A website that loaded significantly faster than Facebook. And Facebook at the time employed more than a thousand people. Pavel Durov all the time was a staunch believer in running a business around a small but highly experienced and devout group. A cult as his detractors would come to say. Pavel believed that a small number of co-workers ensured direct communication of ideas and brainstorming and avoided unnecessary friction, while his detractors and disenchanted members of his team believed that Pavel craved total control over every person and every detail of his company's work and that his level of scrutiny was easier and more feasible in small work groups. From early on, Pavel Durov, like Mark Zuckerberg dreamed of a social platform free from external pressure, whether from investors, advertisers, or governments. Under Sheryl Sandberg's tutelage, Zuckerberg became more pragmatic, a realist capitalist obsessed mainly with revenue and profits. Mark Zuckerberg relinquished his utopian version of freedom of expression to a much more lucrative advertising-targeted policy. Sheryl Sandberg, who was previously a Washington lobbyist, helped reshape Facebook, its objectives toward expansion and monetization. Facebook's algorithms increasingly ensured that users stayed longer in the platform, before seeing more ads, and that meant, of course, more revenue for the company. On the other hand, Pavel, true to his nature as a maverick, a wild horse, refused to succumb to these temptations and to all external forces. And in Pavel Durov's case, these forces were most formidable. The autocratic regime of the world's most fearful leader, Vladimir Putin. The first clash with the Russian regime came with the eruption of street demonstrations in 2011 to protest Putin's decision to rerun once again for presidential elections. When people took to the streets and opposition groups started sprouting on VK, the authorities asked Durov to pull those groups down. Durov's response was a post of a dog in a hoodie with his tongue hanging, a rebuke and challenge to the Russian regime. Putin's administration decided to crack down on VK, but of course in its most insidious manner. VK was too big and too valuable to be destroyed. It had to be preserved, but for the regime's own good. An investment group on behalf of the Russian regime, aggressively bought and acquired VK stocks, making the group the majority partner in the company. And accordingly, they wielded a huge influence on the platform, forcing Durov to bend to their wishes. Moreover, security forces, according to Battle, came to his door, intimidating and threatening to arrest him. So as a response, Pavel Durov left Russia temporarily to the United States on a tour around the world essentially to build up his next app, Telegram, under a new company based outside Russia. He recruited his inner circle of co-workers at VK to quickly develop the app, because he expected that his days at VK were numbered. During this transitionary period, things got murky, because there wasn't an immediate crackdown on Durov. He wasn't, for example, poisoned or arrested. What is clear is that the investment group, now holding majority shares, started exercising increasing control over VK and even demanded joint ownership of Telegram, since it was developed using VK resources. 
After a number of back and forth with Russian oligarchs with direct access to Putin, Bafaldirov's share in VK were bought and he was fired from the company. But he managed to keep sole possession of Telegram. After two years working in Russia under unclear arrangements, Pavel left with $300 million in his pockets to pursue his new pet project to build Telegram, his vision of a digital utopia. Pavel then becomes a citizen of the world, jumping between major cities of Europe, the US, and Asia. He acquired the citizenship of St. Kittes, then the French nationality, all the while shifting his permanent stay and Telegram's headquarters to Dubai in the UAE. He essentially bankrolled Telegram from his own pocket, shouldering the increasing expenses that came with the growing user base. The most considerable cost came from hosting the app and its operations on services scattered around the world. That was meant, of course, to decrease load times and to avoid disruption of service should any government decide to crack down on Telegram's operations. Telegram even perfected a technology that enabled its Russian users to circumvent the governmental block of its services. But of course, the cost of operating the platform ran too high with time. And monetization became crucial to ensure Telegram's sustainability into the future. And so Bavel decided to peddle in cryptocurrency. He hired one of the most established cryptocurrency investors in the world. And together they established a blockchain network. Done. Telegram Open Network. To start trading their own currency, which they called Gram. The venture managed to rake in investments worth $1.7 billion but the American SEC deemed the whole operation to be in violation of its rules and the whole venture failed miserably. To cover its costs, Telegram started to offer five-year public bonds for $1 billion and an IPO maybe in the cards. Starting 2021 and with its membership exceeding half a billion users, Telegram relevance and prominence have increased in the social media world. And with that, Government calls for active moderation on the platform started to emerge in many countries around the world. Because Telegram was turning into a breeding ground for fake news, extremism, and public insurrection. Telegram users in the United States have exceeded 10 million, many of them right-wing nationalists and staunch Trump supporters within the Republican Party. Many prominent accounts include Donald Trump Jr., the former U.S. president's elder son, who has a million followers on the platform. In addition to a number of American Republican Congress men and women allied with the outgoing president and supportive of his view that the 2020 U.S. presidential election was rigged against him. Telegram is also believed to have played a major role in hosting radical right-wing groups that managed, thanks to Telegram's tools, to coordinate the insurrectionist activities that led to the January 6 attacks on the U.S. Capitol. Outside of politics, Telegram is also one of the favorite platforms for fringe movements, like the anti-vaxxers and a number of hate groups. Of course, Telegram, in keeping with Europe's proclaimed libertarian values, has always resisted any and all forms of censorship. Still under pressures from Western governments, Telegram is gradually complying with some demands. It took some measures against doxing, revenge, and child pornographic content. But with regulators all around the world keeping Telegram under close scrutiny, 
the company will find itself at a crossroad. Either select pathway to ensure continued expansion and potential profitability, or commit to Pavel Durov's vision of a digital libertarian utopia. If you want to know more about Durov and Telegram, make sure you check the links in the description section, especially the wild story by Darren Lukiedis. A great deal of information in this video is derived from this rich insider reportage, but of course with a different perspective and narrative. That's it for today. If you liked today's video, hit the like button and subscribe to the channel to check on our next episodes. Thank you and catch you on the next one. Bye.